Welcome back to The Purpose Effect, the podcast about purpose-driven businesses and what we can learn about solving some of the world's biggest problems from the women who are solving them. I'm Elena Kersey, and I'm on a mission to learn how we can build better, better work, stronger communities, a healthier planet. If you believe there's a better world out there waiting for us, then this podcast is for you. We need to elevate the education across the medical system. We also need to bring the education of menopause as the bookend of the reproductive cycle into schools and into universities and into med school. And right from the get-go, it doesn't finish with your period and having a baby. And actually, there's another part to it that doesn't get spoken of. It's just smashing taboos. Like, we're not helping anyone if we don't address it. Isn't it ironic that you get to midlife and you're starting to climb the corporate ladder and you're two steps away from being the chief financial officer and then you get menopause and you can't remember that shit. That's not fair. We're celebrating International Women's Day this week and the theme for this year is Embrace Equity. So I can't think of a better place to start this conversation than with women's health and in particular menopausal health because this is a space which is extremely inequitable. From the obvious, like the inability to get an HRT prescription, to the more insidious, like women leaving the workforce due to a lack of support or debilitating menopause symptoms. About half of the world's population will go through menopause at some stage, and by 2025, one billion women will be in menopause. But it's still treated as something secret or shameful or something we're expected to just get on with. That's despite one in four women suffering significantly from menopause symptoms. So today I'm talking to Tracy Minoknuku. Tracy is a menopause educator and the founder of Sexy Aging, an online support community and fitness app for women in midlife. Tracy has been a guest on this show before. We talked about her own podcast, Sexy Aging, back in 2021. But since then, she's written a memoir about her own menopause journey, launched the Sexy Aging Fitness and Lifestyle app, and speaks on menopause education in the workplace. And she isn't stopping there. Tracy has big plans for how she's going to continue to advance and change the conversation around menopause and her energy and sense of purpose in this is infectious. We are going to talk about so many things today, from the most common menopause symptoms, to the size of the menopause market, to how to grow engaged, authentic online communities. But to begin with, we talk about how Tracy has found herself somewhere she never thought she would be, an expert in menopausal health and fitness, and why she believes this is the place that she is meant to stay. I didn't imagine myself or say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a menopause educator. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I never, never in a million years thought or ever contemplated, even three years ago, that I would be in this space creating something that would become my full-time last gig for fitness kind of thing. That's the way I see it. That's where my genre is in this space when it comes to midlife women. I really sit really comfortably there. So sitting comfortably there and being able to sort of add on the podcast uh, with those skills and that content has been so organic and so authentic and so purpose-driven. Yeah, we we got to about 20,000 downloads within six months and I was like still hyperventilating (laughs) that that 
that that was happening because um, I just wanted to talk to a few people and it sounds like lots of people wanted to listen in. Um, from that moment, you know, I wrote a book um, giving my own personal experience and testimony to perimenopause and, of course, I've got like a checklist of all the things that women can do to help support their symptoms and the, luckily for me, the book was endorsed by one of New Zealand's top menopause specialists. So she read the book, she gave feedback, and I was pushed play on that and self-published. A lot of that was just from a cathartic perspective. Like, you know, Dave was really seriously over me talking to him about every single symptom that was happening. <laughs> so he's like, write it down, and you like to write. And I don't rate myself as an amazing writer, but I have always journaled and always liked to put pen to papers. And then it started to evolve from there, which was, oh, now I have all these tools or this, you know, credible evidence-based um, content. And what do I want to do with that? Because I think I can do something more that's going to really, really help people. So when I was in Malaysia, I was um, kind of thrown in the deep end with on the app development side. One of them was the FIO app with Joanna mm -hmm. So. And I was one of the content creators for that. So I knew in the background how that was being made. And then in my final year when I was living in Malaysia, I actually had to shift all of our fire education across to an app. Yeah. And that was really hard for me, like thinking, oh, but this is an experiential thing. Like how do you actually train instructors through an app? And it actually got me thinking, oh, I can do fitness content for women in midlife and put it into an app. It was taking everything I'd known in the past, fitness programming, how to train women, how to eat. Um, and now, you know, I retrained as a menopause fitness specialist through a um, provider in the US. So I was, I had the credibility to provide that content. I already knew it because I was living it. I think anyone that is living and breathing it is an expert. <laughs> and then so creating fitness-based workouts, nutrition, a community within the app, and now it's a subscriber-based product, so people subscribe monthly. Um, that's starting to build, and the f I just actually did a little post today on Instagram, as you do. I'm in my 20th week of programming, and not one subscriber has stopped. So from a fitness app and from a fitness training perspective, because I've worked in gyms for years and years, a lot of people stop coming after about 28 days. <laughs> That's interesting. So you're able to benchmark the success of the app against what was typical in gyms, right? Yeah. In-person live experiences, despite initially believing that an online experience could never replicate the in-person experience even though Sexy Aging is actually a digital-first kind of community and product. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that all those experiences that I had, a lot of them I pushed against, have actually now brought me to this place where I'm like, oh, hey, actually, I know how to do this, so um, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be honest. There's really been no strategy. And then what's really interesting is once you start to pull something together, it becomes a little bit more strategic. But what's really cool is the way you talk about it or the way you share about it on social media or just your general sharing, it's still truly organic. It's really authentic. Like what you're actually doing and delivering is sort of really rough, but it seems to be working, you know? And I think a lot of new businesses, you know, honest businesses start from that place, right? 
So that reminds me of this idea, and you've probably heard of it before, start before you're ready. Whenever you're trying to do something new, start before you're ready. And I think that's really important because you don't know what you don't know or what the strategy could be or what's really going to benefit people before you start and test a few things. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about trying stuff is that your audience is fairly small to start with and you can develop and build a relationship with them and be able to contain that conversation with a small number of people and they will give you feedback that helps you change quite rapidly so you can stay flexible and make the changes as you go along the way and then the strategy starts to play out as things get bigger. Yeah, so I want to dive deeper into that business discussion soon but before we do that, I want to talk about your 50th birthday when you were thrown into what you later discovered was perimenopause. And I want to talk about what that journey was like for you personally, and in particular, what symptoms you experienced, because half of the world is going to go through this at some stage. So there are 35 plus recognized symptoms of menopause, but now there seems to be a lot more um, that we are accumulating. Uh, But I'm going to stay with the 35 because when I still look through the list, I still recognize that those are the more frequent ones that I hear women speak of. And yeah, so I had 29, (laughs) which is pretty hefty. And they didn't all come at once. So it's not like I'm going, oh, here's hot flashes today or here's sore muscles. It it just sort of came in a way that was really insidious. So when I look back on it, I was about 47 when the first symptoms started to happen and they were um, sleeplessness, night sweats, anxiety, and fatigue. And I think they're kind of all linked. So when you think about not sleeping for days on end, then you get anxious, you know, Um, and then you get fatigued. So you, you honestly don't think or relate that to, oh, this is perimenopause, you know, at its finest. But the night sweats, as soon as they started happening, I'm like, holy moly, what is that about? Because it wasn't just once, it was multiple times. But I didn't really put everything together till a bit later. The whole planning my 50th was about, is about longevity for me. I come up against, I want to live a long and healthy life. And then, oh shit, here's menopause. So that was the juncture, which is, oh, all women are going to go through this. And wow, this is really interesting. And wow, nobody spoke to me. So I was just having all these little ping, ping, ping moments. But that that celebration of midlife has always been something that's that's been there for me, which is how do you pull together the, the, the no BS evidence on how to live a long and healthy life? And you will go through menopause. So get ready for that. But you, there are lots and lots of things you can do to support you. And menopause is a great juncture to make you evaluate what the rest of your life is going to look like because there will be some serious health concerns unless you get on top of it fairly quickly. When I say fairly quickly, I wish that I had known about menopause and perimenopause, its ugly sister, when I was early 40s. I really do wish that. What would you have done differently then if you'd known about it earlier? What would you have done differently? So I guess if I had known sooner, I would have looked out for, probably the first thing I would have looked out for is how my periods changed. So that was quite early on, like early 40s. And to give a bit of context, I had a child at 42. So expecting that my menstrual cycle would return to normal, it didn't. And I just felt like that was a part of the experience of having a late pregnancy. 
But actually, I was going into perimenopause because my progesterone never went back to the same level as it would for a normal menstrual cycle because I was in my 40s. So, yeah, knowing that my hormones were going to change from as early as mid-30s, that is something I really wish that I'd paid attention to. I think we just hear from a gynecologist or a doctor, oh, you know, it's probably good to have a baby, you know, by this age. And it's really due to the hormones. (laughs) They don't really explain that. And that should be part of a conversation which says about this time, your hormones are going to change and you can expect to see some of these things happen, which will be a change in your periods, sleeplessness, um, higher level of fatigue. And for me personally, there were things that I couldn't eat anymore that felt really not great in my system. So dairy products and you know, you know, a lot of friends, they're like, oh, I'm, dairy, you know, I'm lactose intolerant or I can't eat wheat and all that stuff. And I'd be like, oh, come on. But it happened to me, you know. And as soon as I took those things away, and this is well before I knew I was in perimenopause, but I took some of those things away and some of the symptoms kind of reduced a little bit. For example, I had inflammation in my joints. I had inflammation in my skin. But I really battled with that for quite a while before I could say it was perimenopause. So I wish that I had known that, which is better nutrition, really be vigilant on my sleep, like make it almost obsessive, you know, because the sleep quality will actually depress a lot of the symptoms. So then what needs to change? What should change in the way we exercise and the way we eat then? So when it comes to fitness, and this is the thing that I'm doing, it's about maintaining as much muscle as you can. And look, I can honestly hand on heart say I did not know that and how it related to the stage of life that I'm at today. I didn't know that. So I just love cardio. I'm a, you know, cardio queen and you know me and I was doing heaps of cardio, teaching spin and going for 10K runs. And I did that well up into my mid forties, did not prioritize strength training, but the times that I would do strength training, like I'd have a personal trainer, I really noticed a difference to my body. I reacted quite well because I had done a lot of it in the past, but I just mm-hmm. kind of put it on the shelf It's as a, I don't really enjoy it. It's kind of boring, but I wish that I had stuck with it. What's really cool now is I do see a lot of young women prioritize strength training as a preferential mode of exercise. And that has to do a lot with the way we view body types today, right? Like I grew up, with Jane Fonda, stick figure, be as lean and as small as you possibly can. And so it was all about cardio and just tiny little weights, booty bands and things like that. So <laughs> that was it really. And, and you know, it was you were kind of deterred away from heavy weight training because you might end up too bulky, which we know is a myth, unless you're doing CrossFit and that's what you need. You need that power. So I see younger women now not not really buying into that. Like they want the shapely body. There's that whole strength about it. And I just applaud it so much. And I feel like if they can stick with that for life, if they can stay with the weight training, then they'll probably do a lot better than the cohort of women that I am trying to help now because, you know, it is a mental shift for a lot of women to go, oh, you want me to lift heavy over the 10K run that I like to do every day? Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay, so I'm a bit like you. I find weight training boring and I can only do it with, you know, a trainer or in a group class because it's not something that I can ever motivate myself to do on my own. But I do really enjoy cardio. Like I like running, getting on my bike because my brain switches off. So how can I keep doing this for years to come? 
Because you're not saying stop, right? You're just saying we need to incorporate the weight training. Yeah. So you want to try and retain as much muscle as possible. And the way to do that is through heavy lifting. So we're talking eight to 12 reps, obviously as heavy as you can safely manage. So if you get a fitness coach or you get some guidance first to make sure that your technique is good, because the last thing you want to do is get injured because injuries come up for midlife women as well. Even if you do like cardio, like I, I would never say stop it because um, there is the cardiovascular benefits, the mindfulness benefits. There's so many benefits, right? But it is just saying, okay, you know what? I need to start sliding in the strength training session once, twice a week, preferably for long-term health and maintaining muscle and metabolism and estrogen and progesterone I need strength training. And if people can start thinking like that, that's going to be a game changer. So what are the other game changers then for midlife women? What needs to change in in our communities, our workplaces, our healthcare system mm. to better support women in midlife? Yeah, this is the area that I've gone, gone into, which is providing education for the workplace. Um, so I provide workshops um, digitally and live and uh, obviously live is a preference because there's nothing better than a live audience and you can get that Q&A going. So step one, education. I, I don't want to slam the medical system. I, and I'm really grateful and lucky that I have aligned myself with some really fantastic doctors in New Zealand and overseas that specialize in this space. So I get the really up-to-date information around menopause menopause support. But the general practitioner, they don't get the level of education around this particular topic that they should have because uh, I can see the woman in the doctor's office all the same age as me and I'm wondering what they're there for, but I'm there to go and, you know, get my prescription for HRT and give my GP a little education on this. Um, but they're sitting there and they, you know, you know that they're not going to get the response that they had hoped for, but the doctor is just going to brush them off and say, it's a stage of life. You just have to go through it or I'll give you antidepressants. So I think we need to elevate the education across the medical system. We also need to bring the education of menopause as the bookend of the reproductive cycle into schools and into universities and into med school. And, you know, like, right from the get-go. It doesn't finish with your period and having a baby. It actually, there's another part to it that doesn't get spoken of. It's only because we're in this stage of life where, you know, you're getting so many more women living beyond 50 who are now saying, I am not happy about the fact that nobody has spoken to me about this and my doctor can't even help me. So I think that's where we really need to drill down. And I think that's a universal conversation that's happening around the world now. Um, And then the workplace stuff, it's just smashing taboos like we're not helping anyone if we don't address it because you have women leaving isn't it ironic that you get to midlife and you're starting to climb the corporate ladder and you're two steps away from being the chief financial officer and then you get menopause and you can't remember that shit that's not fair but if there was a menopause policy or there was a discussion on menopause, like we know that this is going to happen, how can we support you to ensure that you can continue on your career trajectory and support your family and get what you need out of this opportunity and the fact that you have so much skill and we don't want to lose you, that's kind of where the conversation needs to go and that's starting to happen. Definitely in the UK, Australia is doing great guns 
New Zealand as well, we're kind of starting to pick it up. You know, I've just started to collaborate with businesses in Asia to start the conversation. But, you know, it's people just want to call it, they want to call it a taboo. And I'm just like, no, it's a normal stage of life. Let's just talk about it, you know. You know, certainly from a medical perspective, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you talked about the fact that most GPs don't have this level of, and you used the word specialist knowledge when we're talking about menopause, a condition that affects roughly 50% of the world's population. Yes. It shouldn't be a specialist subject matter, right? This should be general knowledge. This should be, this should be something that all GPs know. So then just based on that, let's talk about money because that's one way that people are going to sit up and start caring about this. Let's talk about the size of the opportunity here for more medical practitioners to look specifically at midlife, for more products to cater for women in midlife, for more fitness businesses to look specifically at this group. What has been the response to your app and to the other resources you're offering? Because I think it's really important to understand that this is not a niche subject matter and this is a hugely valuable audience. I've been saying that for a while and I think it's starting to accelerate, not just from what I'm saying, but because of a lot of products pouring into the market to pitch to women of our age. So I think we've got to identify the niche. So you're looking at uh, women who often have their own incomes and they usually make the decisions in the household of things that they're going to buy. Um, They like to take care of themselves they um, they care about the way they look and they dress and they you know they want to feel good about themselves. Um, so there's a lot of brands that have come into the market recently to sell to us. <laughs> Obviously, I'm sharing and selling a lifestyle because I think that that's going to support people much better than a potion that you put on your face. You know, 51% of the world's population will go through menopause. One billion women by the year 2025 will be in menopause. So that's a real opportunity. And when it comes to fitness, I don't really think a lot of people have have realized this. Personal training, education, fitness, group fitness, class development, you know, there's a lot that could be considered um, that might be very viable for fitness clubs. I would even go to say, look, we remember there was women's only fitness clubs but you could definitely pick up this niche and create something specific for women in midlife. Now, now you're coming into a little bit of a battle because now we're having the ageism conversation, which is people don't like to be identified with being a certain age. They tend to want to look younger. And I'm like, but that's not serving you those workouts and it's not actually going to help you live a long, healthy life. So it's a bit of changing the mindset, which is, yeah, I do like to look good and I do like to have nice makeup and, I'm still coloring my hair, some of that stuff. But also, hang on, I might have 30 or 40 years where I actually want to feel like this today. So what do I need to do? Yeah. Are you seeing, you know, examples of like menopause washing or brands peddling products that might be unsafe or saying that this is a menopause-friendly workout when, when really they haven't taken into consideration some of the things that really need to be considered? Is that something that we as consumers need to be educated about? Yeah. So I'll just start with the menopause-friendly workouts. Right now, I haven't seen anything that contradicts what I would recommend. When it comes to meno washing on products and supplementation is a big one, absolutely. It's absolutely rife. 
one in four women will suffer significantly from menopause symptoms. That's 25% of the menopause market will do anything to not suffer. And they will buy anything. And if you go into a, a pharmacist now, you'll see shelves of it, you know, for hot flashes and night sweats and mood swings and all these supplements. And like, they're not necessarily going to help. We know that HRT is the gold standard for supporting menopause symptoms, but a lot of women can't take it for um, their own reasons. They're progesterone sensitive or, you know, um, there's a family history of a certain type of breast cancer. There's different types of breast cancer. One one type of breast cancer, you wouldn't take HRT, but there's there's a lot of supplements, you know, Pantene are coming out with stuff and all the face brands and <laughs> makeup brands, like, yeah, that's called Menno washing. But I, I also think it's partly accepting that women are aging and like to take care of themselves. So I'm kind of sitting on the fence with the idea of Menno washing. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I have products that I sell to educate women. Um, so am I men washing? Hmm. I don't know. I think there's a big difference there. You are educating women and providing fitness products based on your experience as a trainer and what's worked for you and women like you as they go through perimenopause and menopause. And you've collaborated with some leading experts in the field. So I think that's very different to selling something to capitalize on a fear women have or a lack of education perhaps to make them buy a product. No, you're right. And I get queries every week <laughs> um, from some brand that wants to collaborate and I've turned down 90% of things. So yeah, <laughs> I just can't, I can't sell. I can't sell something I don't believe in. So do you have any predictions? How do you think the menopause conversation is going to develop over the next couple of years? Yeah, I can already see a growing acceleration in the DEI um, space um, in businesses where they're incorporating menopause support in their um, employee policies. So it comes under menstruation and miscarriage and family support. So um, that's starting to accelerate. I can definitely see all of this happening in the UK. Um, I am going to take a stab in the dark and say that I feel like I've spoken enough about how important it is to look at what we can offer for women in, across fitness and wellness. And I'm going to say that that's going to accelerate this year. And uh, the accessibility of HRT, I mean, we're already, we already have global supply issues right now. So um, that should hopefully, you know, sort itself out and the availability for women to access HRT should they want to take it, um, that will improve. And um, doctors getting education, I think. <laughs> um, you know, longer the days that you can't be the old guy just assuming that, hey, my wife went through it, my mum went through it, so you should be okay. There's, there's a lot of pushback on that now, and I think that that should start to iron itself out. We're, I'm working with a group of women, and we're you know going to parliament about stuff like this, so it's going to change. <laughs> I also want to talk a little bit about community building, because I think that that's something that's interesting for any woman who is working in the impact space, trying to build communities in the impact space, um, and communities where you're really trying to move the needle, which have started similarly to yours, like with a problem and galvanizing groups of people or women around that problem to try and solve it and solve it quicker. 
because you've built the sexy aging community on your own. You're an independent podcaster and fitness creator. Do you have any tips for community builders on how to engage your community or grow communities in a way that still creates impact, you know? It's not growing for the sake of achieving size. Yeah. Yeah. No, I am. And I think that this is probably sounds a little bit cliche, but being true to yourself has is probably the only way that you can do it because people will relate to your message if you're honest and transparent um, with your journey. And I feel like I only really got to that stage when at this actual stage of life, which is which is kind of cool, really, to get to midlife and go, oh, I've really got nothing to hide and I've got a little bit to sh- I have a story, everyone's story, and the fact that I shared it open-heartedly with transparency through the book and the podcast and all the other things that I think it built a community without any expectations on my side. And, you know, you hear of that, you know, TikTok creators and Instagram famous people, like they really genuinely do start like that unless they have a ton of money behind them. <laughs> but that's generally not the rule. It's it's being, you know, being really transparent about what's going on. And maybe you can call it oversharing, but I feel like I got to a stage of my life where it wasn't oversharing. It was a bigger problem. So now in the last year, people will say, oh, what do you do? <laughs> Everyone says in New Zealand, like, oh, what do you, what do, you do? Um, I say, well, I consult for a fitness club and I'm building a um, online resource support for menopausal women. And then it's just like, game on. Women <laughs> will tell you everything. You know, I could be standing you know, waiting to catch a flight. I could be in a bookshop. I could, you know, and we'll have this conversation. And I, and this is even five minutes of them talking before we've even exchanged names. So that level of community really comes from a place of deep pain for a lot of people, you know, and I don't take that for granted. I don't play on their pain. I, I feel it. I've been there. I understand. And um, I think as, if I stay true to that message of really helping and supporting woman, then the community will continue to grow. Um, Some people will love me and some people won't. Some people will like other people. That's cool. As long as they're getting the support that they need, then um, it's all good. Yeah. I think it's really brave because a lot of people don't want to talk about the symptoms of menopause, perimenopause, often because they're embarrassing as you've talked about. (laughs) you know, um, sweaty and can't remember things and incontinence issues. Like they're not things that you want to talk about. They're not sexy. And they're not sexy. Not sexy at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's brave to talk about them really, really openly with the hope that it helps other women. Is there a particular myth around menopause that you would like to bust out of the water right now? A very common assumption, maybe something you hear a lot that you're just like, no, let's get rid of it. What would that be? I'm too young. Ah. That's the one I hear. People, and that's what I believed. (laughs) I truly believed that a woman in menopause would be around mid-50s, you know, like, because I didn't have a real concept of what my mum's experience was. So I didn't really have any preconceived notions around or or an understanding or even a a year of when menopause would start. I just assumed it's about mid-50s because that's what it looked like. 
I mean, I have to say, whenever I have conversations with you, Tracy, I feel excited about what's coming for me. Like I know, I know menopause is going to happen. And hopefully when I start experiencing physical and mental symptoms, I will be more educated and I will have more resources available to me than you, you did. But when I look at what you're, what you've built, how much energy you have, I'm, I'm excited. It's almost like life begins at 40 because you've figured out everything about yourself. You figured out what you don't want to do. You've got a better understanding of what you're good at and what you would like to do. Um, and I really feel like it's an extremely exciting time for women. Yeah, I agree. It is. It is exciting and it is fun, you know, and you don't take yourself so seriously and you're okay with failure. You know, there's just so many cool things about it. Yeah. If there was one thing that you hope for the sexy aging community, what would you say that is? What would you say is your purpose for the community? I've probably said it before. I usually stick with what I say, but this is my last project for the fitness industry. I do not really see myself going beyond sexy aging. So I'm, I would just love that um, when a conversation comes up around menopause and how to take care of yourself, that sexy aging would be on the lips of most people in the world, most women, yeah. or people would recommend it or say, oh, check out this you know, sexy aging podcast website and all the other things that are there. So yeah, that's ultimately what I want. And it sounds like a pretty big, hairy, audacious goal, but you know, I'm a hundred percent in and there's no other option. So (laughs) I'm going to keep going. There is no option B because option B is very boring. (laughs) Boring for me. Yeah. And I'm not doing boring anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, because you're in this fantastic stage of your life, right? Where yeah. You figured out all of the things you don't want to do and um, yeah, yep. all the chips are in. So <laughs> then what's next? Um, is there any new things in sexy aging that we can look forward to this year? Yeah, um, I think it's it's been a bit of a slow burn for me to really get into the workshop space. And I think I mentioned that before that I I come into businesses and I share with them, you know, what is menopause um, and how can we support women in the workspace and how can we align you know, um, our support for women so that they will stay. So that it's been a slow burn only because um, it's a slow burn here in New Zealand to get into that space. And it's a small population, let's just face it. So for me, um, where I'm heading now is, uh, you know, my network is Asia. And I know people in Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Philippines, you know, all around that know me and know my credibility, know my background, that they know that I'm the real deal when it comes to health and wellness for women. So it's um, being able to partner with businesses in Asia now for me has been, it's probably the most exciting thing that's happening because I just love seeing the aha moment for women and for men. Men that are married to menopausal women, when I say to them, this is what's happening and it's not you, but this is what will make your life better and you do not need to divorce her. It's just so heartening to be able to share those conversations, both in the workspace and community. So I've moved into that and um, it doesn't take up a lot of time for me, but it is something that I'm deeply passionate about, especially seeing the aha moments. People often cry. Uh, So I, I feel like I'm really serving my purpose when I'm touching people at a soul level and it becomes yeah. meaningful. 
Um, so that for me has become something I'm really pursuing now and it's starting to accelerate for the Sexy Aging brand. So having all the other resources is great because it makes it easy for me to say, hey, look, I, I have these things that can support women, but ultimately what I want to do is um, have an audience with them and really open up their hearts and their minds to the future of looking after themselves and 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 that they get to stay in their jobs and do a really good job, you know? Like that's so cool. <laughs> do, do you find, you know, those those moments when you touch people on a soul level, have you found you've been having more of them lately? Oh, <laughs> you're actually making me tear up. <laughs> every single day, every single day. And it's the thing that it just makes me keep going because there are people that are suicidal, you know. Yeah, there are people that they, their marriages ended and, you know, they, they, they lost relationships and friendships and they lost jobs or they walked away from their, their dream job because they felt that they couldn't do it anymore. Or just the, thing, the, what, the things that women say around how they feel about their self-esteem during this time, the imposter syndrome, the feeling like they can't cut it anymore, like that stuff, I hear that every single day and it freaking breaks my heart because yeah. A, I remember that feeling mm-hmm. and B, this is not necessary when we know what it is and how we can support it. And so, yeah, it's 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 a big deal for me actually. And I think that is what we all find when we start to figure out the ways in which we as individuals are uniquely positioned to serve. Once you figure that out and takes a lot of time and energy and failing many times. Once you figured that out, the number of those soul connections that you have exponentially increases. And then you you feel like, yeah, you're spending your time well. Yeah. <laughs> Just do what I can do. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Um, and I always enjoy chatting with you because I always learn so many things, not just about menopause, but just about, I don't know, how to live better. And I'm always inspired (laughs) by your energy and your passion. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Now, don't leave just yet because I want to wrap up with one takeaway for you to think about as you go about your day. And this goes beyond menopause and what we can all, and I mean all of us, every single person can learn about how to better educate ourselves and support our communities as half of us go through this life change in a way that doesn't have to be scary or secretive. It could be the time of your life when actually everything falls into place. But my one takeaway has to do with building community. Communities invariably take on the identities of their founders. So think long and hard about what it is about you that makes you uniquely positioned to serve your community and lean into this. That's where the connection happens. And I'll have a think about how I can do this myself. You'll hear from me again next week when I'm talking to an amazing young entrepreneur who is solving the problem of food waste. Talk to you then. Bye.